Good morning, Celebration Church, and greetings from Costa Rica in Central America, where Deb and I are here for a couple of weeks, chilling out with some, uh, some of the gang from the Stevens Point campus, uh, just taking some time to relax, and uh, we're having a great time, but wanted to continue with our uh, sermon series that we're doing called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. Now, normally when I'm in a tropical area, I'm shooting outside. I'm shooting inside today because it's really hot outside. Not only is it hot, it's very humid. Perfect for lounging around the pool, but a little rough to stand there and talk to all of you as I drip <laughs> with perspiration. Anyway, uh, we are doing this series called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. Uh, important accounts that everybody should really understand as Christians because it has a lot to do with who we are today and why we do what we do and, and those sorts of things. So uh, we are in the book of Genesis. A lot of stuff happens in Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. That kind of really sets out how all of this really started. And that's why we're spending a lot of time in Genesis. Once we get past Genesis, we'll fly quite a bit more quickly through the Old Testament. This is going to take a while, but it's okay. It's a good series. If it takes all year and who knows how long. <laughs> we're just going to keep plugging away. Now today we are talking about uh, uh, Isaac and Rebecca. Now if you were to do a study on significant events of the Old Testament or you would ask people to do a study on the significant events of the Old Testament and identify what they think are the key major things that happened, uh, most would probably not pick this. Uh, I picked this particular one because of what I do uh, dealing so much with married couples and with young people talking about marriage and how to make choices about spouses and stuff like that. We're talking about now in uh, Genesis, the 24th chapter. This is a chapter of the Bible that a lot of contemporary Christians still hang on to uh, in their thinking when it comes to marriage and it causes a considerable amount of problems. So while most theologians or great students of the Bible would not consider us a major significant event, uh, in terms of how it impacts our faith. Uh, this one is significant because of how it impacts a lot of people's decisions about this thing called marriage. Now, the first thing we have to remember is there is a big difference between what the Bible records and what it teaches. It records all kinds of crazy things that people did. Uh, we talked uh, last time about, you know, Jephthah the Gileonite, the guy that uh, swore to God, help me win this battle and I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my tent when I get home or my house when I get home, his daughter comes walking out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge disaster, but it doesn't, the Bible doesn't teach us that. You're not supposed to say, Lord, help me really have a great day today and I'll kill the first person I see when I come home. That's not biblical teaching. It is, however, a biblical record. This is what this Jackanini, very crude, clueless man did. Now, did God give him favor? God did, but it wasn't because of that. It was because God was using him to save the nation. Uh, God had already given him favor and was with him before he went off and rattled off that stupid promise. So that was a stupid thing recorded, but not taught. Nowhere else in the Bible does it teach that kind of stupidity. Uh, we talked about uh, Gideon. Now, Gideon was a good guy, but he was very fearful and afraid and second-guessing everything, all right? So um, we get to Gideon, and God clearly reveals himself to Gideon and tells him he wants him to lead the people against the enemies. 
uh, but he was constantly second-guessing. So he finally gets to a point where he prays this prayer with a fleece, which is like, you know, uh, as I said, a lamb without the lamb in it. It's just, it's just the sheepskin, okay? So he tells the Lord, Lord, here, this is, what I'll, this is what we do. And God had already talked to him, okay? But he wanted a sign. People get obsessed with signs, especially back in these days. These are very dark times. People don't understand what they should really understand about the scriptures. So he takes a fleece and he says to God, God, if it's your will, next, tomorrow morning, let there be dew on the fleece, but not on the ground. Let it be dry. And the next day, that's exactly what happens. And then Gideon goes, well, let's try it one more time. This time, let the fleece be dry, but the ground be wet. And sure enough, that's what happens. Now, God uh, accommodated and often did accommodate their ignorance. Uh, but once the Bible uh, gets very clear and God starts revealing himself, particularly when it comes to the revelation of God through Jesus, who makes God very clear, then we're not supposed to be doing those kind of goofy things. The Bible never teaches you're supposed to be taking lambskins. Lord, what should I do today? You know, should I go to church or not? Here, let me lay out this lambskin. And if it's wet in the morning, everything else is dry, then I'll go to church. No, that's just dumb. By the way, you should go to church, period. You don't need to be praying about God's will to go to church. All right, so anyway. Uh, and on and on. The apostles, remember, in the beginning, before the Holy Spirit came, they wanted to know who the next apostle was going to be, and they drew lots. We're not supposed to do stuff like that. The Bible clearly teaches us we're not supposed to do those. So once the Holy Spirit comes, we never see any more of that stuff. And the Bible teaches us about how to know the will of God and teaches about how to live and teaches us how to pray and know God's will. This stuff, again, there's a big difference between what is recorded and what is taught. You have to understand that or you'll get all jacked up with all kinds of goofy ideas from the Old Testament, which is why we're going through all this stuff. So, okay, so now let's get back to Genesis chapter 4. We started a little bit on this last time. We'll pick up again back at the beginning. Abraham was now very old. The Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant of his house, in his household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh, and I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Very, very specific. And uh, verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master. Now, we <laughs> talked about this last time. It wasn't his thigh. I don't know why the translators of the Bible have got to go out of their way to turn the translation so that we don't get offended. It's just, it ticks me off, okay? It wasn't his thigh. It was literally his man parts, okay? Why would they do that? I don't know. <laughs> Today we just shake hands. Something I'd much prefer. Or we might put our hand on our hearts to make a promise or something like that. What he did is he touched his manliness, which some theologians say it's because of the uh, covenant of circumcision, that once you touch the covenant, it's really serious. You, <laughs> it'd be pretty serious to me, covenant or not. Anyway, that's what he does. And you actually see drawings of this. Like some of the pictures, that some of the old drawings that you'll see artwork uh, and there's lots of this, uh, you know, that you can find online, is you can see how the guy is praying, where his hands are, <laughs> while making their promise, all right? So he, he, he does this, and he, he swears this oath, this is what I'm going to do, and off he goes. Okay, now let's pick up the rest of the story. <clears throat> Verse 10, then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's 
camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, Naharim, and made his way to the town of uh, Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. Now it's toward the evening, and the time, it was the time when the women go out to draw water. Why it's the women's job, I don't know. It was what it was. All right. Then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. So he starts to pray. Now again, we don't even know this guy's name. This is not a deeply spiritual man per se. He's not one of the patriarchs. He hasn't had revelations from God. He's just a guy, an unknown guy, an unnamed guy who goes out there and he prays uh, because he had learned about this God from his servant Abraham. Yeah, this is 650 years before the Ten Commandments. They don't know Jack, all right? Which also kind of ticks me off. Why people are trying to get their information about how God works from a time where people didn't know hardly anything about God just ticks me off because we're not supposed to be getting our information from this kind of stuff. There's something we can learn, but this isn't what teaches us how to approach God today. Anyway, so the guy prays, Lord, help me out with this. See, I'm standing beside the spring. And the daughters of the townspeople are coming to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, randomly, out of nowhere, please let down your jar so I can have a drink. And then she'll say, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. Now this is where we get the problem today. Because so many Christians, Bible colleges, pastors, teach this idea of when it comes to marriage, God has one special person just for you. And when you challenge their thinking, they all immediately go to Genesis chapter 4, where the servant prayed, God, help me find the one you have chosen. Again, who is this guy? We don't even know who he is. We know from Jephthah they prayed all kinds of goofball things. And is it really the kind of one that we're thinking? I want to even challenge that. Because his version of the one wasn't some magical soulmate out there. It was, I'm trying to find a relative for uh, Isaac to marry. It was a very specific charge. He was supposed to go find a relative. So, uh, and back then, these guys married their half-sisters. Abraham married his half-sister. A little creepy, but that's what they did. People sometimes say, you know, trying to say, oh, is there really an Adam and Eve? What did people do, marry their sisters? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what they did until there was more and more, and then they'd go to half-sisters, and they went to cousins and second cousins, and actually the whole cousin thing was very strong throughout human history up until about 100 years ago. Uh, I remember the big hoop-de-doo when Jerry Lee Lewis, the uh, great balls of fire, you know, piano player, uh, country guy, married his first cousin <laughs> from the South, and people always made people from the South, they mocked him about that, and uh, the South got so much heat about it, they all changed their laws, so now nobody can marry their first cousins. Okay, fine. But this is a very common thing. So anyway, he's not asking for some soulmate when he says the one. He's praying, God, help me find one of his relatives. It's not like they had Google where they could go look him up. It's not like, for those of you before Google, we had the yellow pages where he could go looking for, you know, one of Abraham's relatives. They're just... They're a bunch of nomads in the middle of nowhere, and he's wandering about. Now he has to go. His quest is to go find a relative for Isaac to marry. So I would even challenge this idea of the one. But again, 
whether he prays this or prays something even crazier. We don't take our cue from this. This is not what the Bible teaches when it comes to marriage. When it comes to marriage, the Bible teaches about making choices, choosing wisely. Solomon warned about choosing wisely, or you wind up in a very bad place. Uh, uh, Paul taught about choosing whether or not to marry at all. And the whole time Paul, which now we're New Testament, revelation by Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes, that's our teaching. Paul teaches that you need to decide whether or not you want to get married in the first place. And Paul was saying, if you choose, then fine. His whole argument is choose to stay single. That's what Paul taught. You know, so this thing that God has one special person is blatantly baloney. It is so anti-scriptural, it's enough to make me scream. The only place they can find it is one verse, 650 years before the Ten Commandments by some unnamed servant who doesn't know jack about anything, trying to find a cousin. Come on, people, people of the world. I know there's Christians watching all over the world on the internet to these messages. Stop the stupid. How are we as present day devout evangelical Christians still getting our cue about marriage from this one obscure whacked out verse? All right, so continuing on. So he prays, oh Lord, I'm going to ask some girl, will you give me a drink? And if she says, Sure, and I'll give your camel something to drink. Oh, Lord, let her be the one. He didn't say it would necessarily be the one. That's the other part of this. It wasn't like he said this and then she came and she said, oh, then this is the one. No. He was praying that when I do this, if she says this, I hope she is the one. And we'll see this in a minute because she's not the one until he finds out it's a cousin. All right. All right. So, verse 15. Before he'd finished praying, I mean, Rebecca comes right out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Okay, Abraham has a brother named Nahor. Nahor has a wife named Milcah, who has a son named Bethuel, who has a daughter. So this is now the second cousin of Isaac. The reason it's a second cousin instead of a first cousin is Abraham was 100 years old before Isaac was even born. So the whole first cousin thing had pretty much passed by then. So now they're looking into second cousins, all right? So the woman was very beautiful, the Bible says, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her, which seems a little bit redundant because, of course, that's what a virgin is. But they had to say it, whatever. Uh, she went down to the spring, and he, she filled up her jar and came up again. So the servant hurries to meet her. It's the first one he runs into, and he's going to try out this, this prayer. He said, please give me a little water from your jar. And she says, drink, my lord, and quickly lowered the jar to her, to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she says, and I'll draw water for your camels too, until they've had enough to drink. Nice girl, Rebecca. All right, so she goes, and she quickly empties her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Now, I don't know what the culture is, <laughs> At this time, this servant is sitting on his butt while this girl is running back and forth getting water to feed a bunch of camels. I think, hey, I'll get it. Don't work, but it's the culture of the day. For some reason, women were in charge of the water. So, um, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca, two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. One heck of a tip. <laughs> For getting water for that camel, 
You know, that's a, that's a lot of Jack Jack. So, whoa. And then he asked her, whose daughter are you? Well, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? If he prayed, oh Lord, send me the one you have chosen. Then as soon as she said, you know, the prayer that he prayed, that she would offer to uh, water the camels, that should have been the one, right? We're talking about the one. No, that's not the kind of one that he's talking about. And again, that whole soulmate thing is just so stupid. Anyway, we'll come back to that in a minute. So, uh, he still wants to know, who are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Because, you know, they're travelers, and it was a nomadic lifestyle, and they would ask if they could stay with different families and stuff. Well, she answered, listen, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, bore to Nahor. Again, Milcah is married to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and has Bethuel, uh, Bethuel. anyway, uh, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Well, as soon as he hears this, he has scored. This is incredible. God was with the guy, cutting him some slack. And God, and I do believe sometimes God definitely cuts us slack when we act in ignorance. We just don't know any better. But we're supposed to know better. We're supposed to know the scriptures. So he freaks out. I mean, he's excited now. He bows down. He worships the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. That was the one. That was the point of all of this. Now stop and think about this, people. If we really believe this nonsense today, it is the equivalent of someone going into a business building and praying, Lord, I pray the first man that walks out with a yellow tie on today and smiles at me will be the one I will marry. Well, you wouldn't do that. I hope you don't do that. Now, if the guy comes out looking like a Hollywood <laughs> super dude, I bet you you think, oh, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. If he comes out and he's 350 pounds short and bald and 65 years old, I bet you then it's not the one. You know, it's all a bunch of nonsense. Goodness gracious, people. This is not the way it works. And besides, and I've said this before, the idea that God has one special person for everyone is patently absurd. All it would take is for one person to get it wrong and the whole system would fall apart. Right? I mean, it, it just makes no sense. It's not about one cosmic person. Why are we so obsessed by this? Because Christians keep teaching this blatant stupidity. And I would challenge any Christian who teaches this blatant stupidity to prove that it's not blatant stupidity. Because no place in the Bible, other than this one absurd one place from a guy 650 years before there's any Ten Commandments, who doesn't know Jack, we don't even know the guy's name, he's freaking out, he's trying to find a cousin for Isaac to marry. And he prays this, the one prayer. And again, why did he have to ask who she was? Because the thing was, if she's responds this way, then she's the one. Well, no, that's not what his version of the one was. Anyway, let us continue in the story. We go on, now we get to verse 57. What happens is the servant comes and he tells the family, wow, I came from Abraham, you know, your relative, and I prayed this prayer, and da 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 And even then they didn't say, oh, praise the Lord, this is it, this is God's will, then you gotta go, you gotta go marry him, because God has revealed it. That's not what they do. Look what it says in verse 57. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. What do you mean ask her about it? 
I thought it was the Lord's one. I thought it was revelation. I thought all we got to do is pray, you know, Lord, if the wind blows out of the east and, and my, you know, a squirrel runs across the yard, then I know it's God's will for something. No, we don't pray that way, for heaven's sakes. And even they, in this context, still went and got the girl, Rebecca, to see what she thought of all of it. In verse 58, so they called Rebecca and asked her, you want to go with this guy? And she thinks about it and goes, yeah, sure, I'll go. And it was her choice at that point. And that's really what the Bible teaches. How do we know what the Bible teaches? Because it's the choice part of it that is repeated over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible till we get to the New Testament where we really are supposed to get our cues. And Paul taught that this is above all things a choice. We are to choose well in fear and trembling, because this is a choice that has huge implications for the rest of your life. And it is the rest of your life. Well, what if we get a divorce and it's not the rest of my life? Oh no, it's the rest of your life. Once you're married to these people, you never get rid of them. All y'all that have been divorced, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You still deal with your exes and ex-family and kids stuff, and you'll be dealing with this stuff, birthdays and Christmases and who goes where, till the end of time for your time on this earth. So it's, you need to choose wisely. Be smart about it. That's what we teach. We're trying to show and empower all y'all who listen to me about how to use wisdom, how to use God's word. Again, we have this book, Being Found. Go check it out. It's written for single women about how to choose wisely. And we're coming out with a guy's version of it uh, entitled Finding the One. Wait, wait till you see the cover of this one. It's hilarious. It'll be out in a, in a couple of months, and we'll talk about it more then. So these books are available. It gives wisdom to young single people, or old single people. Actually, it has nothing to do with age. In fact, the book specifically talks about older singles and how, how to do this. You're single. You want to know how to find the one. Well, first of all, there is no the one. Use your brain. Use wisdom and choose wisely, because that is what the Bible teaches. And let me just underscore this one last time as we, we move on, and, and we'll still see some of these other things and some of these other events. But when it comes to knowing God's will, do not be doing weird goofball things like literally praying, Lord, if it's your will, then let such and such happen. Or God, if you want me to do something, then let it rain today. Or, you know, let a squirrel come and jump on my screen and go, and run off into the woods. I mean, that's not how we know God's will. Don't be doing goofy stuff like that. Or let the picture of my mom, you know, let a butterfly land, land on the picture of my dearly departed mom. And, and then that's how I know. And you think I'm making this stuff? I'm not making this stuff up. There's people who tell me stuff like this. Man, I know God was really speaking because there was a picture of my mom who died and a butterfly landed on it. And I knew God was speaking to me. I'm like, stop! No, that's not what I say. I'm nice. <laughs> I just smile. Oh, that's nice. But I'm saying to all of you, don't do it. Don't get into versions of crazy. That is not how. You say, Pastor, how do we know God's will? You read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. You need to be learning about the Bible. That's why you need to come to church more than six times a year. For heaven's sakes, people. You should be here every Sunday, and you ought to come on Wednesday nights when we get into our Bible study. I promise you, the people who do this have better lives than those of you who don't. So how do you know? Because I talk to y'all, y'all. And the ones in our congregation, in any campus, who have the biggest struggles in their life are the ones who hardly ever come to church and certainly never come to the Wednesday night Bible studies. It's as clear as can be. 
That's as predictive as the sun rising, which here is very predictive. <laughs> in a, unlike Green Bay, where the days get longer and shorter and stuff, where we're at, every day is exactly 12 hours long. Every day the sun rises at 5.45 and goes down at 5.45 p.m. Every day, all year long. It's, oh, it's, it's almost bizarre. Uh, their days never change. There's no seasons down here. Uh, and it's a little humid <laughs> and hot. Nice to escape from Green Bay for a while. I'm not sure I can handle the heat <laughs> year long in this place. Anyway, so the significant event of this thing in the Old Testament that I'm pulling out is to warn all y'all, don't get caught up in And there's some really great Bible teachers who preach the stupidity. They're just wrong. I don't know what to tell you. They're just wrong. How you can take one thing in the Bible that is never repeated again, ever, and teach this as God's will, is they know better than this. They would not do it with any other doctrinal area of life. They know the Bible better than this. They know line upon line. They know about the mouth of two or three witnesses. They understand all these biblical concepts, and yet, because they don't understand this thing called marriage, they teach this stupidity. I've had pastors teach this stupidity. Bible colleges teach this blatant stupidity, and they always come and build it around Genesis chapter 24, as if this is the gold standard. It is not. Unless you take the last part of it where it says, they asked her to choose. Ah, now that is the gold standard. Don't be praying for visions and dreams and squirrels flying around your backyard or whatever it is. Stop all of that. We don't lay fleeces before the Lord. We don't draw lots as they did before the Holy Spirit. Can we don't do any of that stuff, all right? We get our wisdom from the Word of God and from the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says there's safety in counselors, multitude of counselors. If you're confused about what to do in your life, come talk to us. We're here. You can, if you say, I don't really know the Bible that well, I got to make some decisions, what should I do? Come talk to us. We'll guide you in the right direction and help you choose wisely with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, not by random events that blow in and out of our lives, okay? Anyway, God bless you all. Uh, I will check in again with you uh, next Sunday, one more time for our vacation, then we'll be back home with you as we continue this study on the significant events of the Old Testament. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your kindness, and your truth. Thank you, Lord, that we have your word. Thank you that we have your Holy Spirit and that we can know clearly without fear your direction in our lives. Help us not to make it into things that aren't. And certainly when it comes to this thing called marriage, Lord, help people to stop over-spiritualizing stuff, looking for random events and confirmations. Help them to use wisdom and to choose wisely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. See you next Sunday.